Hello and welcome to episode 200 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. Today is May 25th, 2020. I am Rollo McFlugel and with me is Slappy Jones 2. I am fresh off Childerberg dose today. I got back in, I got home uh, about four hours ago. Um, fortunately, it was a long day of travel. I started at around 4 or 4.30 in the morning and about 13 hours later returned home. But fortunately, this was not because of any hiccups. It was just because, you know, it was about... Tractor only goes so fast. Tractor only goes so fast. So it took me four hours to get from Childerberg <laughs> to uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. Had a, uh, you know, short flight to get to Baltimore, where I flew out of, and then I had to drive from Baltimore back back home. So um, my travel, my traveling, for those that are concerned, went without a hitch this year. Uh, I completely avoided Colleen, including avoiding the route that would have taken me from Dallas-Fort Worth to Childerberg, avoided going through Colleen because that that was an option. Triggering. But uh, yeah, Childerberg dose was a uh, was a raging success. Uh, we had a decent amount of people show up, considering all things considered. Uh, Jacob, considering it was announced that Rollo would be there, yes, yeah. But uh, the fruitcake <laughs> was a uh, was a major success. We had uh, Doofus Anarchist was the winner of the guessing the weight. Yeah, I just started following him. Yeah, I yeah, saw he's a good dude. Him. Met met some new people uh, down at Childerberg Dose this year, so we had some brand new faces, and it was great. Uh, once again, is you know all the rave reviews we had last year, uh, we can say the same again. Um, Jacob Lindsay did uh, just an absolutely fantastic job with organizing it, um, and you know rolling with the punches because. He definitely had to with uh, two of the venues canceling on him. And then the venue that we went to right before it started, it's like, yeah, we're going to like not have more than five people gathered. <sighs> but, you know, we we didn't abide by that rule. Um, and literally no one else did either. Yeah, and it was it was pretty. There were a lot of people there at the park. It was nice to see. And um, and no one gave us any trouble there that that, you know, worked worked at the at the park um it's one of those things where it's just don't be an idiot and don't bother people <laughs> and and you'll get along with everybody amazing how that works uh, but what was really nice was that you know i had a weekend um for the first time and and since covid started where i just the covid didn't really affect me anymore um you know we talked about it a little bit of course but um you know, it's just really nice to have have a have a long weekend. Go have where, a normal weekend, huh? Yeah, and just have fun. Um, there's nothing happened that like was annoying or ticked me off. I was just in a good, happy mood the entire time. So, uh, hats off to to everyone that came and and had a great time. And if you couldn't make it this year, we will see you next year at a uh, Childerberg Tray Tree Childerberg Tree. That's that's I think that's how it's pronounced. But yeah, about the fruitcake, it um it 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 turned out real well this year. Um and people liked it. And people people liked it last year, but uh the consensus was that this year's was even better. I did get a good I finally almost nailed the consistency that I want, which is like very gooey and sticky. So I'm pretty I was pretty happy about it. So 
and I brought some home with me. Nice. So, I, yes, to the people that might be wondering where the fruitcake went, I stole it. <laughs> but uh, we, ra- we raised 50 bucks for the 50-50 for free raw, so I'm going to convert that to Bitcoin and uh, send it over to him. And we nice. raised, I'll, I'll, let, uh, I'll let Jacob um, maybe give like the numbers for the, the rest of the money that we raised for uh, Raw Solberg, but it was it was actually a pretty pretty good amount of money that we raised. So, good. Um, yeah, yeah. So once again, um, we'll see you next year. Um, there's, uh, yeah, it, it was it was fantastic again. And if you were on the fence or you know upset that you couldn't make it, uh, just just know that we it was just as good as it was the year before. So. And we went to a, uh, I, I rode the wine van this year. We went to a uh, distillery and a winery on Sunday. And, uh, man, the distillery is, it's, I think it's pretty new. It's only a couple years old, but we did the, uh, they've got seven different uh, spirits and we did the taste testing for it. And wow. Very cool. Yeah. Good it, stuff. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. Really, really good. Bring any home for our next meeting? No, they didn't. Um, they're not allowed to sell on Sundays in Texas. So I could not buy bottles. They're in total wines, but in, um, only in certain places in Texas and around the areas. I looked it up. They can't ship it to me, but, um, we'll see. Is that a Pennsylvania issue? Uh, it's, it's, it's a distribution issue, not specific to Pennsylvania. Interesting. But it's a government issue, of course. I'm sure. um, I wonder if the, I'm sure, uh, Jacob and Mason will kind of cover it. Uh, Sure. But uh, yeah, I would love to get my hands on some of the, on some of those bottles. It was funny. It was funny. Every every taste you had, you're like, man, I need to get this this bottle. And then the next one, like, I need to get this bottle too. And then the uh-huh. one, and like, I'm gonna have to buy all seven bottles. Might as well just get them all. Yeah. So um, so yeah, I had a uh, had a fun weekend down there. Good. 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 I'm sure. You, there will be plenty of podcasts within the uh, within the groups that that talk about it. So. I'll be listening to all of them. So um, let's get into uh, what we have to talk about. I think we've it's um, kind of a full. I mean, we could probably break this up into like eight thousand episodes. Uh, yeah, we it's could. A wide ranging topic, but why don't you uh, kind of? Yeah, well, I guess I guess we're going to talk about wealth creation, huh? Um, and I guess and and Rallo has been. Um, certainly more vocal and active on Twitter, uh, than I am typically, but specifically on this topic, uh, with growing gardens to fight the state. Um, but I don't think the episode or I don't think where we want to go is necessarily there, uh, but more how to create wealth and a sustainable stateless society. Uh, is that kind of what you have in mind, Rallo? Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of, help get the idea straight of like what may be a good idea, but isn't necessarily, or I, well, a fine, I'll call it a fine idea or a fine thing to do, but it isn't necessarily going to have that much of an effect on the state. Whereas if you, if your goal is to fight the state and ultimately beat it and destroy it, there are certain things that are better to do than other things. And it kind of goes, you know, hand in hand with, with, you know, the market's <laughs> working. Well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, like I do want to say, because I know people are passionate about this topic. 
Um, and just because Rollo hates gardening doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. Um, it's funny. We have, uh, <laughs> we ha- not that long ago, we had that episode with Jared, uh, yeah. from, yeah, uh, from the uh, mongoose about the joys of, <laughs> of our garden. Yeah. About how great. And actually this is the first year I'm attempting it. So, uh, I got a whole you bunch of things. Peppers, didn't you? Yeah. I got peppers going. Um, we got bell peppers, pepper, pepperoncinis, uh, some jalapenos, uh, a couple of tomatoes and spearmints and uh, basil. So I got I got some things working this summer. We'll see how it goes. Um, uh, maybe, but it's it's really fun. I'm enjoying maybe, this. Maybe you go to Harrisburg and and throw some of those peppers at at uh, Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf. Well, maybe he uh, overthrow the Pennsylvania state government. Well, that would I. If anyone wants to do that, I mean, um, not a big Tom Wolf fan. No, uh, but yeah, no, and, and I I like the spirit of this as well. The agorist, like you know, it's a way to be subversive to not participate in the state stealing your money. I think that's all good things and a good mentality, but. It's not going to end. I mean, yeah, maybe we can start this off by just in the state because like, I don't want to. It's not just... going to do. A lot. They don't care if they did. They would find a way to stop it, probably. Yeah, maybe we could talk. Start it off by talking about kind of uh, criticism or whatever as a strategy to defeat the state. And once again, let me make it perfectly clear: as someone who has a fairly large garden, who really uh, bigger likes, than anyone I know, to be honest with you, yeah, who really likes gardening. I am not against gardening, and if your yeah, that goal, was obviously facetious on my own. Yeah, if your goal is to just like do stuff to, you know, get out from the, from under the state's thumb, and and you don't care about not, not that you don't care about anything else, but that's that's pretty much just your goal. You want to be whatever you got to do to to not interact with the state, then that's fine. Um, I'm not. I- this doesn't really apply to your arguments, what we're about to say. What we're talking about is if your goal is to do things that leverage your time and talents and resources the most to defeat the state and working towards defeating the state, then just because you say, well, it helps, well, some things help more than other things, and some things actually don't help. Um, so I don't know if we'll get into what things that don't help, but maybe, but yeah, um, just like the, there's certain things and and there's like a, this is what's tough talking about this is because a lot of people have different ideas in their head when, cause it's like, oh, you should grow your own food. Uh, and that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and a lot of, a lot of different libertarians. Um, some of it's just like, Hey, you can, you can lower your tax burden a little bit. All right. That's fine. Um, others it's, I had someone, this was a while ago, but in person at one of like the Philly meetups or something, he said to me and he did not mince words. He said, if you're not growing your own food, then you're really not a libertarian. And I was like, Whoa, well, okay. That's aggressive. Um, well, what does that like? I, I mean, I know he's not here to talk, but what do you mean by that? Like, do you mean eating a hundred percent of food grown by you? I don't know. Or is it like my, my tomatoes I'm growing. If I get one out of it, then I'm a real libertarian because I did grow my own food. 
Yeah, uh, growing, you know, growing and eating 100% of your own food probably means that um, you're not eating stuff like cinnamon. You're very skinny. Spite and spices that come from like the far reaches of the. <laughs> There's plenty yeah. of stuff that you're just wherever you live, you only grow. Can't get given your things. climate. And that's another thing I want to say too, uh, because some people react like, "Well, I can grow things really well." It's like, okay, well, if you live in a climate. And live at a place that um, that you can do this better than others. Well, that's like comparative advantage, and you know that's fine. Like if you're better at that, then that's kind of the point that you should. Yeah, like would it make sense for you, you have to talents and the environment to do, um, as opposed to someone? Because what's frustrating to me is that I hear people say like, "Oh yeah, the great you know great libertarian agorist thing to do is you should grow your own food." It's like, well. That's fine. Like, go ahead and do it. I'm not saying not to do it, but like to the guy that lives, um, you know, in an apartment in the city and doesn't have any interest in that or place to do Land. it. It's like, well, it's like, well, I can't really or don't want to do that. I mean, and you so I might be able like... to get a couple plants in your apartment, which you're probably paying for the lighting and all that, and. Taking care of it, and I don't know how much space you have. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's like you're not really do. It's I, I use this because it's like, well, any little bit helps. Even if you grow a single tomato plant, those are tomatoes that you're not buying from the state. Okay, or not you're not buying from the state, but the um, system, whatever. Yeah, because big agro has all sorts of you know the states. Uh-huh. So yeah, I get it. That's in in one way or another, you're supporting the state by shopping at a supermarket. Um, but like how much is that actually help for all the, the effort and the money that you're putting into it, you know, and to buy a pot with some dirt in it and a seed isn't really that expensive, but, um, I don't know that you'd be recouping the cost, um, of that tomato plant. Maybe you do. Um, but like how much are you affecting the state by doing that? Um, you know, you could say, well, yeah, I mean, like you just said, that's a couple less tomatoes you're buying from Big Agro, who's, you know, all tied up with the state. But it would be like if your car broke down and you said, said to me, hey, can you go out and push? I said, yeah, sure. And you're pushing with all your might. You know, you got your back into it. You're really straining and huffing and puffing. And you look over and I'm, I just have a single finger pushing on it. You say, Dude, what are you doing? I need you to help push. I, guess, I am helping. I am helping. I'm applying force <laughs> in the di- same direction you are. I-, I am helping. And it's like, well, it's like, well, maybe there's a better way to use your time and energy to help move the car than that. Um, and really, hey, um, this, this is a good example. Maybe your maybe your cars, and this is kind of a an um, foreshadowing of what we're talking about going to talk about but um say your car gets stuck in the snow um and you're trying to you're out there trying to push the car and if anyone's ever gotten caught in the snow and tried to push a car out of it it is not fun and it doesn't really work that well so maybe one guy finds some find something flat that he jams under the wheels and gets just some traction. So like you're, you're able to work a little bit smarter, leverage tools and technology that are available to you 
that gets you out of the snow right away and leaves you with a lot more time and energy as opposed to just sitting there and, and trying to push the car out. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say just about, and I know we're kind of, we might be jumping all over the place because there's so many ideas to cover. But the idea that like, and, and you were you were saying this already, like the state doesn't care um, if you grow a garden. They just don't. Now you might say, oh, well, there's, we see, there's, I can, I can, Send you a bunch of links to stories where local governments, you know, hassle people about having having gardens in their front yard instead of having a lawn. It's like, yeah, that's that, but they're not they're not upset. They're not trying to get people to not have a garden in their front lawn because they don't want them growing food. It's because yes. they think it's an eyesore and they have certain you know you know regulations for how your front yard's supposed to look. Now, I think that's bad and I think that's stupid. For them to have those rules by the state doing it, but they didn't get in a meeting and think this guy is not buying food from our approved supermarkets. Right. And again, like what we were saying with growing tomatoes, there's really not that much an effect on the state that you're having by not by just slightly lowering your the amount of food that you um, produce. Also, I mean, just by growing a vegetable garden. Like what percentage of your diet is going to be that? Um, you certainly can't grow meat on trees, and if you can, please let me know because I will plant a lot of them in my yard. But um, the other thing too is it's like growing a garden. It's not it's not government hard in the sense that um, it's not something that you're really routing around the government with because if the government did decide that they want to not have you garden, they could very, very, very easily do that. Um, and they don't even necessarily need to do it explicitly or like out in the open. Um, they could, um, they could just send someone and destroy it one night. Yeah. Um, whether pesticides or stomping on a little bit and all for, for all, you know, it was just some, you know, jerk neighborhood kids. Bad summer. Yeah. Yeah. Decide to wreck your garden. And also with that, not even because because there here's the other thing um, idea that I hear from some people about growing your own food is that they're like well we should be more self sufficient and well first of all if you're talking about subsistence farming there's a reason why people several hundred years ago left their farms to go work in factories with basically unimaginable conditions by today's standards for work because that was better. <laughs> than working on their farm um, and breaking their back all day, um, every day, to make enough food basically just to get by. Mm -hmm. Farming is very, very hard and very difficult to do at scale. Um, and, but even if you're not necessarily suggesting that, and this is where I hear a lot of libertarians and, other, and others talk about this idea of localism, um, which... I think we'll get into this because it's tough with definitions because I want to make sure that we're talking about the same thing as localism. I'm not against the idea of localism, but if your idea of localism is that you are an isolated economy, um, especially with food production, then I think that's 
how you wouldn't be a place I really want to live. Yeah, that's how you probably starve yourself to death, especially yeah. if you don't have that large of a community. Um, if you're, you know, a, you know, a 10 square mile community that's, quote, self-sufficient, unquote, and you have a really bad thunderstorm or a drought or something like odd happens or just some bad people come through, then you then you have no food. Um, or do that with any other thing that you produce. It's really important that, yes, there's certain things, this is where comparative advantage comes in and the division of labor, that you do the things that you are best at, whether that's as an individual, as a community, as, a, as an economy, as, as whatever, as a group, whatever it is. Um, and there's it's going to be kind of like, it's not going to be so um, so specialized that like only one group. Like you're not going to have like oh this is one community. They're the grain community. They're the only one only ones that are going to go grain go, grow grain for everybody. And this is the apple community, or they're going to be the only ones that, that grow apples for everyone. Well, it's the same thing kind of applies. Um, if you have a, a bad storm or something bad happen, then you've just you know you've wiped out everyone's supply of that. So really what, what's best is how the markets kind of generally develop on their own is that, you know, you have specialization, but it's kind of like broken up and decentralized with the production of it um, so that you might have your normal source where you buy your stuff from. But if something goes wrong and something going wrong to you might just be the price goes up um, mm-hmm. of what your normal supply is, that you can you have access to other supplies through these networks of supply chains, um, <clears throat> middlemen, that you're uh, that you're able to, to access those things without having you know a major major hit to yourself. It might be inconvenient because now you have to spend five percent more on grain than you normally would, but you'd rather spend five percent more on grain than having no grain at all. Um, so, I think. I think people tend to go a little bit overboard on seeing how um, a lot of these markets get twisted up by the interference with the state. And they think that, like, I know uh, Tom Woods had this episode a little while ago about how meat production is so messed up. And, like, meat production would tend to be more local um, to people because with all the regulations and and the interference with crony capitalism you have these like major conglomerate farms and slaughterhouses that run these small guys out of business artificially and so you have a a lesser product um just due to the fact that they don't really have any competition to mm-hmm. to to provide anything else um so we just got have to be careful to think that just because um there's like aggregation of like a market happens or production happens doesn't necessarily mean that's always a bad thing. It's really market dependent. And, um, you know, we can have certain ideas about, about certain, about certain things, but, um, you know, every, the idea that every, every little community is going to have its own, you know, meat farm and slaughterhouse. Eh. I don't know. Probably doesn't make sense. No, it's just like how not every community is going to have its own oil refinery or right. anything else. Or, or yeah. um, 
produce cars or right and the other thing too is that like your your land might you where you live might not be conducive for producing meat very well well the the example i like is is like oranges mm-hmm. like why would we why would we grow them around here it wouldn't make any sense it would take a lot of energy a lot of effort it would be expensive when we can have someone in florida or california or whatever grow them and send them to us and it's a heck of a lot cheaper and we could do that. I mean, we could go. We I, could. I, I could grow oranges where I live at my yes, house. Yes, it would be very expensive. I would have to build a greenhouse. I would probably have to have climate control in the greenhouse. Right. And hope it doesn't mess up or break or. Right. Or something goes wrong. I don't know. Some, you know. But that, or let's windows just. Let's, break. I don't let's know, just say my general it's, area, because there's, there's a lot of farming that happens where I am. Now, let's say that we produce, decide, like, we want to produce our own oranges. So, like you just said, that takes a lot of additional resources. Um, that could be put towards something else that yes. you're better at producing. Right. That would mean that you, everyone else would get fewer mushrooms. Right. Where I, I live in the mushroom capital of the world is what they call it. There's mushroom farms everywhere. If they started devoting and they're able to, you know, maximize the production of mushrooms – um, just given uh, it, it might there might be other geographical areas that, that can do it pretty well, too. But for whatever reason, they do it here. Um, and so we, there's only there's there's a limited amount of resources available. And so you have to decide where to use them. And you probably want to put them into the, the thing that you can get the most bang for your buck out of. Um, and so. This is what you – I think you should be applying this to the individual person too. Um, you should be applying your talents and where what your environment is to do the thing that is the most productive. Um, and that's what – that is what generates the most wealth. Um, and so, well, Rollo, we're not just here about uh, making making money. We're trying to defeat the state. Um, yes, and uh, but I think those things go hand in hand. Uh, do you want to jump in with anything before I start? Like, yeah, no, keep going, keep going. Right. Well, like, where, where, where do you want to go? You want to go on? Uh... Well, first of all, let's just say this. Um, you know, we live in a, a very oppressive government, and it may not be like directly, but they're well. I, governments are oppressive, and they are the most powerful they have ever been in the history of the world. Um, I don't know that that's. There might have been more oppressive governments in the past, um, like the Soviet Union and and Nazi Germany, or at least <laughs> oppressive to their to their own people. The United States government, you know, they we might live pretty good lives under it, but uh, people in Yemen and a lot of other places around the world uh, might disagree with the level of oppression that the United States government brings. Um, but there's no no governments have have ever had the the power. Um, the no, I was gonna say have. it's also oppressive in a subtle, more subtle way, but maybe a stronger way. Yeah, with licensing and everything. I mean, if you, if it's the perfect perfect example is going on right now. Like doctors who say anything other than what the narrative is, uh, and I'm sure there's examples out there, but they get taken off, they get taken down. They have to whisper in the hospitals, essentially. They're not as vocal about it. But if you've had conversations with doctors, a lot of them question the way the handling of COVID has been. Uh, 
but they're not always as vocal about it and why it's like, well, I don't want to lose my law, my license. (laughs) So it's an interesting way to control interesting, scary. I don't know. Oppressive maybe. Um, and you all your Facebook friends laugh when you say it's an oppressive government. Oh yeah, you're so oppressed, but you know, you really can't do much without government permission. Yeah, and this, um, despite all that, we're yes. still seeing the raising of basically standard global living, standard, yeah, standards sure. of living. Absolutely. So yeah, are we, are I, we that's going, incredible. Yeah, are we going to say that that's the government's doing that we're seeing a raising of standard of living? Or are we saying yeah. that it's despite the government's action that the market is still providing us still with so much? Still making us a better life, yeah. Right. And so that happens through, like we were just saying— division of labor, specialization, comparative advantage, and everything. Um, so that, you know, that, that standard of living is being raised because, like, there's, we're humans, and throughout our history, there really has been no change in our humanity, um, whether it's physically or mentally. I don't think we're necessarily smarter than people in the past. We just have the ability to collect and uh, um, index information and call information back better than anyone has ever had before. I mean, books made that. was a, They were talking about in the uh, Friends Against Government, their last episode. Mm-hmm. How, like, with the, the creation of the printing press, it made books really easy to, to print and cheaper to print. So now, like, all this information can be in the hands of so many more people. And then you uh, have the internet, and man, like it just puts that on steroids that are just unbelievable. Like the 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 amount of information that we have available within seconds, basically at will. If you want to learn, if you want to get learn something learn within anything. seconds, you have multiple multiple ways of getting it, yeah. and that's really incredible. You have so, access to any library in the world on your phone, pretty much. Yeah. So it's not – so like well, the, the, right there, we have technology and tools that, that help improve that. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But we're sure. – there's no nothing different about humans. So what – like what, why do we have – you know, why – how are we able to record a podcast over the internet and then send it out to a bunch of people? Um, and we don't have to pay any money to do it as opposed to think about what life was like, uh, 3000 years ago or 300 years ago or 30 years ago or, or 15. Or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's because we're able to leverage what we do in the time we do it a lot better than we did before. And that's technology. Uh, capital accumulation. Yeah, go. If you think back, like you were talking about the farmers leaving their farms and going to the city, and you know when was that happening? The Industrial Revolution. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of free time uh, to do things like record a podcast right. or come up with the ideas to create the technology to do what we do. Like you just said, all day you were working to live to the next day essentially yeah we're able to use technology to create tools for us that able that allow us to use the same amount of human energy mm-hmm. and produce but have more way stuff. way more and have way much more stuff 
I mean, has, has it even like, has, I'm sure people have tried to measure it. Have you seen it? Like, I guess you could look at GDP over time going back and people probably estimate it, but just the amount, the way we are way more productive today than we were 200 years ago, or like you said, three years ago. Um, I, I don't even know how you would measure it. Um, well, maybe if you had a hard money, maybe, maybe once Bitcoin becomes money, um, no, but, and we'll yeah, be able like, to like, I, just see what you can buy with a, because you know, once, once 20, there's 21 million Bitcoin, that's it. So you'll be able to, assuming no loss, well, there's going to be loss of Bitcoin. So it's going to be, it's going to increase the purchasing power there in addition to, uh, to the in, improvement, but that would be, oh yeah, you would just need to, I'm just saying like, even let's you based on the fiat or whatever, just the standard of living. Um, and, and I know what you mean by if we had a hard currency, we would be able to, but I saw something, this was a while ago. It said like in an iPhone, there's like $10 million, like that would be worth 10 million. The, what you can do with it is about $10 million in 1990. Oh, right, right. With the, how, how good the camera is. Um, and what it can store. I mean, you imagine the kind of computer you would need in 1990 to have the hard drive that your smartphone has. Um, I mean, I, I remember having a 20 megabit megabyte hard drive uh, in the 90s. It's like you couldn't even store a video, <laughs> you know. Um, it's pretty insane. Uh, and so if you think back to 200 years before that, it's it's like we are so much more productive uh, as humans than we've ever been. Yeah. So what does that productivity allow us to do? It allows us to – I mean we, we talk about this all the time, uh, like Uber and Lyft. It was a technological mm-hmm. innovation that allowed people to – well, allowed us to break the – the taxi medallion monopoly that the right. government had. And it, and why, why do you think that people, you know, saw like, Oh, I can drive Uber and Lyft and I can be an agorist and I could, you know, I, this is a better, this is a more free market solution than taxis. That's what I'm going to, Oh man, I'm becoming a libertarian. This is great. Do you think that was their motivation for choosing Uber and Lyft over a taxi? <laughs> I'm assuming that's rhetorical. Yes. <laughs> no, but like, why? Uh, why would they choose? Yeah, no. I mean, it's cheaper and it's easier. Right. It's better. It's um, better. I I used to work at a a bar in the pre Uber Lyft days, and um, I, I would work the door, and people would come to me and ask for a taxi. Um, I'd either give them a number, or they were too drunk, I'd call them a taxi. A lot of times, a taxi would pull up to the front of the bar, and some other drunk guy would jump in and leave, and then you know, this guy would come back and say, my taxi come, I don't know, we call the taxi, like, it was just a pain, you'd call the taxi company back, and they say, we sent the guy, and then, you know, they're sending another one, and 40 minutes later, the taxi shows up, it was a real hassle, and that's probably why, uh, I mean, unless you're in, in a big city, like like New York, um, t- certainly in the suburbs, taxis weren't that popular of a way to get around. No, not at all. But Uber and Lyft come around, and that's the only—I mean, almost the only way people go to and from the bar. Yeah. Uh, well, if you drive drive around at night or drive for Uber, you drive past a bar at, at you know one thirty, two o'clock. There's a whole bunch of people standing out front of the bar waiting for their Uber or Lyft. Yeah, it solved the problem for people they didn't even realize they even had these problems. That's that's right. kind of interesting sometimes about it. And it did it in a way that was cheaper 
and and easy and just was was a good overall product. And it's that just cre- brilliant. That you, you have wealth. these resources, right? You had the, the, what's his name, Travis? What was this, Trevor or Travis? Who, whoever started Uber. But he sees all these people have cars and they're sitting there not being used and could be. And if, if maybe if you paid them to to use them, they could give people rides. Like what a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. And we see that with like we we've talked about it here with I started driving DoorDash and you you know drive yeah. it too. And it's like it's another great great little right. innovation that that takes idle resources and puts them to use. Um, but yeah, that's that's the big thing is that there's disruptions in the market. Um, that make these step changes. Now, there might be other things like, um, you know, if you're even without the government, just using the same example, say the government didn't create monopolies for taxis, you would have like, um, maybe there's a couple companies that get really good at their taxi service. And so they, you know. Yeah, let's say there's competing taxi services, right? Right. And they they grow and that's good. Yeah, they're good. They're efficient, whatever. They're. They're fine, and they, they given the resources feet, they have, you know. But like, it's not. That's still, I don't. I don't want to say it's static, but like. Well, it is what it is, right? But right. then a new technology comes around. But what what what's happening there is that hopefully, if if it's a good company, um, they're they taking some of their research and development. Yes, which is what that's why most companies have those research and development branches, so they can come up with that breakthrough that gives them that competitive advantage over their competition to take more of the market share and to grow the market. Um, they're not even necessarily trying to cannibalize the market they're already serving. Um, I think that's a not necessarily a good business practice you want to have. You don't want to like, you, you want to generate new customers or have mm-hmm. your customers purchase more or different. Not necessarily just change what they're doing, uh, but you know that that allows them to really increase their their growth um, and their wealth. And so what that does is that when when companies and businesses and, and everyone in the markets generating and, and accumulating wealth and <laughs> saving, uh, which is a very 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 important aspect of this, because we mm-hmm. see what happens when the state and central banks start messing around with interest rates, um, it allows them to start putting resources and testing them out and, and, you know, through trial and error and everything else, finding ways that um, are most productive and, 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 and come up with these technological breakthroughs. And when that happens, you know, we know that the um, socialism doesn't work Central planning doesn't work because it can't solve the economic calculation problem. And like what we going back to what we were saying earlier, how um, despite the state being as powerful as it ever been, our standards of living are still increasing. It's because the markets outstrip the ability of the state to produce. So the state's always trying to catch up. And depending on how strong the state is and how how much the you know um, these companies are producing, the state's going to keep kind of taking chunks out. Like kind of what I was what I was trying to say earlier with the taxi company that's just that's that's doing really well but not growing. It's growing but it's not producing any technological breakthroughs on how to have a taxi service. Um, you know, there's still 
able to be controlled by the state because the state can still just continue to tax them and regulate them how they operate at the current moment. But as soon as they come up with a way, a different way to operate, the state cannot automatically adjust to that and come out with a regulation. The state is slow, it's cumbersome, it's big. Now, if they decided that they were just going to ban basically everything new that happens or, or it's not within um, within their current rules, you know, explicitly what is allowed, then that, you know, I think they they outkick the coverage there mm-hmm. with what they're allowed to do. And that's where you start having people get, you know, upset. So they have to have now, that kind now of happy, revolt. Yeah. They have to have that happy medium where they're operating that they're they're controlling but can't have too much control but that kind of puts them at the mercy of what these businesses are doing but that's where um them controlling the money supply gives them the huge advantage is because um they're able to basically just just destroy innovation they would probably prefer it um that there wasn't that much new technology that happens or at least they're the ones that are in control of it we see all these government labs i mean they're able to just print money basically to fund their technology and they're using all this new technology um to their own benefit like we see the 5g coming out and it's like well it's going to just be used to surveil us more easily Uh, we see a lot of the stuff with you know with cell phones and stuff in the internet they are able to you know leverage that more um more than anybody else for their own benefit. So that's why something like, not something like, that's why Bitcoin is so important because it just like, that's a technological innovation, a breakthrough that happened that routes around the government's ability to to take advantage of controlling the money supply, whether it's through messing up uh, interest rates and not having prices work the way they should so that, you know, uh, businesses and individuals are getting their wealth destroyed and they're not able to save and uh, accumulate and develop capital adequately adequately and also they just fund themselves because it gives them you know a very pretty much close to unlimited checkbook um so it's about like you know this it's it's this constant struggle between the market and the state um let me try to reframe what i was about to say I'm talking too fast um why bitcoin's important well no well yeah kind of i i wanted to trans i wanted to not have a hard awkward transition to uh 3d printing guns and stuff because oh yeah yeah well what talk, you're talking about technology changing and the state having to catch up and what's going what's go what is the future of 3d printing guns well yeah it's, it's i mean like, how is that going to how is that different from gardening for example yeah let me try to let me try to um smoothly transition into that uh because like what's like i think i we i alluded to this a little bit um on our last episode with mr sue how i think we should think less of there being like well we have the free market and capitalism and then we have the state and they're like kind of these two separate things like, oh, if only we had a free market, then we could do all this stuff. It's like, yeah, maybe. But um, that's not the reality. That is not the reality of the world. The state and what the state represents is just a group of people that are able to uh, leverage certain tools to control things more than other people. And so since they're able to control the money supply so well, 
they're able to purchase um, a lot more and bigger guns than us and also the people to enforce that stuff. That's probably the more important thing. Um, and fund their their government schools and everything else. You know, we, we know we know the state's propaganda machine. But they're just able to leverage tools better than the average person who doesn't want to be under their thumb. So that's why these disruptive technologies like Bitcoin and 3D printed guns and even Uber and Lyft are so important because it levels the playing field. It's the same argument that we have that we say that people should own and sometimes carry guns because it levels the playing field where a you know a 110 pound woman is no longer an easy target for a six foot four 240 pound dude that wants to you know rob or rape her when she has a gun now all of a sudden that that physical size difference doesn't matter anymore um so let's yeah let's talk about the 3d printed guns right now uh, because that is, you know, printing guns at your home, you know, there's the uh, grow your own food is a lot different than print your own guns. Absolutely. Uh, because there has been no technological breakthrough for growing food that allows you to have a cheaper and better option to do it at your house than doing it at the store. Now, I know there's something, you know. I'm not interested in hearing this like one off thing that you figure out. Well, actually, uh, by growing uh this specific variety of heirloom cherry tomatoes, it's actually, you know, 5% of the cost overall, even including your labor than it does to, but like, okay. Yeah. I, I get that. Um, but like, I think it's very obviously and clear that we see no disruptive technology for a home gardener to be able to really supplant that. <laughs> Uh, their ability to produce food as opposed to going to the grocery store. But when you have 3D printed guns, what you're able to do is you're able to shift where the production happens for making guns that you can, as a final consumer, by purchasing a piece of technology that does not require... Now, right now, it still requires a certain amount of you know technical, specialized skill to, to do it well. But, man, they're making some pretty real progress and i'd like to get one of those guys on on the podcast soon to talk about you it should. Uh, because it's really interesting stuff um uh, but we're well on our way to be able to be like you purchase this hardware this little piece of capital equipment um and you buy and it's it's generic hardware. that's what's brilliant about it a 3d printer is not a a uh, gun manufacturing device. It is a generic piece of hardware that can make anything. It just happens that it can make guns. And with that too, the the inputs of that, the plastic that you use, that's not specific either. That's generic, uh, genetic, generic material too. Um, So it, it puts it into the hands of the consumer that they can have a way to route around the state's rules that they don't know how to, how to handle it. They're really floundering and coming up with just like the most absurd, you know, rulings on how to deal with this stuff. And they just can't do it. They can't. Well, they can. Let's not put it past them. They can do whatever mm-hmm. they want, basically. We just don't know how effective it would be. But that's the real difference is now, you know, anyone. Just imagine a 3D printer being like a dishwasher. It's just a piece of uh, an appliance you have at your house where you 
loaded up with some stuff like detergent and press a button or two and it does its thing. So if the 3D printer, um, you put the plastic in for your material and you load some soft, you load the program into the software and it makes it for you. Like that is a huge, huge deal. And that's a way that you're able to not rely on having, um, people who have to work directly with the state you know right now there's gun manufacturers that would absolutely love to get guns in your hands um, and sell them to you but they are a a throat that the government can can squeeze Mm -hmm. and so i mean we've talked about it before where it's very difficult for these these businesses to operate because they have to decide all right do i want to offer you know um and sell whatever products i want to whoever i want but I'm probably going to go to jail or very least get my business shut down. And so it's not really a great, you know, situation for them to be into. But if you're able to make it so inexpensive and easy for someone to just print their guns at home, well, how do you stop that? How do you stop generic hardware from being able to make specific things, especially when you have the internet as a way to um, distribute a lot of this information? And also... (laughs) the 3d printers can make their own upgrades right it's incredible like this this is the kind of stuff that gets me excited and the only way that you can afford a 3d printer especially right now they're a little you know to to do this stuff it's not quite commoditized yet and it hasn't been perfected yet the technology that that it's really probably will be that's what I'm saying. It will be soon. But if you want to participate now and be one of the people, early adopters or people who are helping push this along because it has this effect on the state, well, you know, it's not that it's not super expensive. The prices keep coming down. But like you, you, you can't be a subsistence farmer. You can't just be consume or producing only what you consume. Um, you need to have the ability to you know, be productive enough to have some excess wealth that you can put aside and save so that you can purchase this technology and start using these tools earlier on and being the, you know, um, start being the catalyst mm-hmm. or, or just even whatever you do, just, just being a participant in it. And, and, you know, even if you get other people interested, but saying, Hey, I, I, I was trying to print this, you know, this gun part and I had these issues like that's that's very helpful. That's something. I'm one of those people. I have not bought the 3D printer yet, but I'm very interested. Yeah, I don't in have one. It. But uh, was that? Did I miss anything there? I know I rambled a lot. No, it makes sense. I mean, what has changed in gardening? Not much, right? Right. And so, if you want to do it, like we said before, you want to do that as a hobby. That's fine. But right, like, it's great. I don't it's think good. you should be patting yourself on the back for saying you're subverting the state for not doing anything. That's it's not really affecting the, the state. state. They don't care. Like, what do you think um, the state cares more about? You growing, you growing a big. Let's just say that you you grow as much as you you know you grow a lot. You don't buy food anywhere except for all, you go out back and pick it. And then maybe you sell some of your extras to your neighbors. Yeah, what do you think the couple- state cares about more? Are you doing that or are you having a 3D printer where you just make guns at will? Right. I mean, so. you can't. 
you can't stop. Like you said, they could spray pesticides if they want. Right. And the government, um, they did like, that to marijuana yeah. in, in you know back when they started really cracking down on the drug war. And it's not a, um, you know, we, we make fun of government for being inefficient and stupid or whatever, but they're they're not totally dumb. And they have to. They're good at what they do. Yeah, and they have to direct the resources. So where do you like look at what the government like cares about currently? They care about gun control a lot. <laughs> they don't care about, you know, again, you might find some local government that has some weird rules about gardening and how you can have your lawns and everything. But, you know, those are one offs. And I, I'm pretty I would imagine that those places also care about gun control, too. <laughs> so it's not right. not necessarily mutually exclusive on what they care about. But, um, yeah, it's. uh And and the other thing, because um, we did we were talking about this before we we went on, but I think it's worth talking about because I think we we I think we covered, or I hope we covered why um, why yeah it, it's funny how like all all led up to this one little point is like oh yeah by the way that's why you should you know specialize in something and make a lot of money so you can afford this stuff. I kind of mm-hmm. went the roundabout way of how all that happens to to uh, kind of reach that that point. Um, but I wanted I think we should talk a little bit about like black and gray and white markets and stuff. Um, sure. What we were talking about before we started recording. And again, don't get us wrong. We're not saying we don't like black markets. We're not saying don't participate them in them. Like do do what works best for you or whatever. But um. It's not like black markets are totally permissionless. Um, just in the sense that um, if, again, if the government cared enough, then they would do something to kind of squash them a little bit. Um, and, and I don't want to say it's permission because it's it's certainly not the case, but... Um, and the, and it certainly depends on the markets because you know the drug black market for drugs they can't really stamp it out. Um, they also don't really want to stamp it out. It's a giant jobs program. Right. That's true too. And they know they can't stop it out. I mean, if the like not to go off track, but if if the people in government thought that they had a shot at ending drug use, like if that was their goal, they would have quit a long time ago and tried something different because yeah. it's. So that's not like their goal isn't to get rid of drugs. Right. And two, there's um, what we were talking about before was that um, they know that stuff is happening. And sometimes they let it happen on purpose because they know that that's what keeps things going. Um, mm-hmm. We mention this book all the time, uh, The Vampire Economy by Gunter Reinman, which I recommend, I think, is was written in 1939. Yeah. Uh, published right when World War II started. So it was written before the war started. Um, really an interesting book, but yeah. go ahead. Sorry. But he, I forget exactly what the, what it, what this specific market was, but he made the explicit point that the Nazis knew that under the table, black market transactions were happening in the economy, in industry. It wasn't just like, you know, a little... They you know, needed them to survive. Yes, and they allowed like, it. They turned a blind eye to it because they, they knew that if they didn't let that happen, everything would come to a grinding halt. Right. 
So it's it's kind of a, a weird thing the government does because they want to show their force and their strength and they want you scared to participate in these markets, but they know that they need these markets in order to keep their power. Right. So it's like that being said, I'm not saying don't participate. Just know what it is. And if you're if it's your goal to destroy the state by subverting it, sometimes the state kind of appreciates that you're doing that. Right. But maybe I mean, but that's the power of the markets too. The black market mm-hmm. is, is still a market and might yep. even be, you know, considered a, a freer market. So if you're able to accumulate wealth via yeah. the black market, then you're doing exactly what we're saying is a good thing yes. to over to to, yes. to defeat the state. Right. Um, we're just I'm just trying to make the point that it's not like you're not necessarily more virtuous by operating on the black market than than being on the white market. Right. Because if you are most productive by operating on the white market, then operate on the white market. It's better for you and it's better for the rest of society. Because, you know, if 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 it weren't the case, then if it were if it were the case that operating on the white market I'm not talking about white market as I'm working directly for the federal government and, you know, manufacturing the bombs. It's going no, to go working at wherever. Yeah. You're not, not in the socialism part, more of the, the fascist quote, legitimate part. business. Yeah. Someone who's can, you know, your business is, is regulating <coughs> control. That's what I meant by fascist. Yeah. Don't be a fascist, <laughs> but you're it, it, within the fascist system, not necessarily the completely socialized system to make that little distinction there. But a business where you're where you're heavily regulated by the government, if it were not the case that um, that it was good for the world that you had that job being productive, then the standard of livings would not be increasing um, because that's you know the white white markets are still very very powerful, despite uh, a lot of the power the black markets have, and so you know any any sort of you know, productivity like that, despite the state trying to hold it down, is not only beneficial to you because you're able to, you know, use your energy um, with a lot more leverage and so be more productive. But that production helps the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing, even though, like, and any any connections around the globe with the economy, you know, you doing your job well here positively affects you know a guy in sri lanka or something because it's it is it's it has those you know effects rip, effects that ripple butterfly effects yeah. Yeah. yeah um so don't feel bad if you've got you know a normie nine to five job and you're like, man, you know, I feel like if you're I'm, doing it well and, and saving money and creating wealth. Yeah. Be a, you know, one of the more radical things you can do, especially nowadays with all of the, you know, they're they're trying to give the UBI and, you know, low interest rates and all this other nonsense and all this welfare and everything. One of the more radical things you can do is just be a productive person in your job. And there's a I tweeted this out maybe a week or two ago, and I'll try to remember to put this in the show notes page, but. Uh, Pierre Rochard, um, who's a great Bitcoiner, um, let me see if I can find it, wrote this, um, wrote this piece years ago, 
Um, and I want to get the title right. Uh, yeah, it's called Working and Saving Our Revolutionary Acts. And so that's really a, uh, a good piece to, you wrote that back on uh, in December of 2012. So almost eight years ago, seven and a half years ago. Um, but it's something like so simple, working and saving. What do you mean revolutionary? But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give any spoilers. Go read through that, and and it should have a pretty good imp- positive imp- impact on the way you uh, way you kind of see that stuff. Because I think we need to get to uh, get back to kind of like first principles, especially with economics, to understand kind of how the world works and what's going on, and to see that you know the effects that central banking and and the federal reserve and and fiat easy money has on everyone that that it ripples through and causes so much harm and so doing the things doing sometimes the maybe the opposite of what they incentivize are the real revolutionary actions that are Mm -hmm. really going to have the the positive effects so you know when when the government and central banks are you know, pushing you to, you know, be very, have a very high time preference and, and spend a lot on, you know, stupid consumer goods um, that, you know, are kind of junk, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe be productive, learn a, a marketable skill, make a lot of money, save, invest wisely, um, and, uh, and that, and you'll be, you'll be the catalyst. You'll free yourself. Yeah. yeah. You'll free yourself and you'll, you'll help free everybody else. And that's right. the other thing too, is that if you were, if you're able to get to the point where you've, you have enough money, um, you just start having, well, having more fun. Not that money doesn't bring you happiness, but like your dollar that goes to the government matters less to you than the dollar of the guy who's living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. So you're able to do more stuff, not have to be, um, you know, as as much as even though you're giving, having more taken from you, you're less of a slave to the state, which I think is a good thing. So that's kind of because I've been tweeting a lot about this kind of stuff. And maybe, yeah, maybe, taking some heat for it. It's It's an emotional topic. Yeah. But, Which surprises me. But yeah, I wanted to take the opportunity I mean, I to kind of lay the case out. Um, yeah, and more than more whatever depth. characters you're allowed. Yeah, because um, it's you know Twitter's it's punchy, and I, I kind of was punchy and a little bit aggressive about it on purpose because I did want to, um, you know, get people thinking and talking about it and having these gears turning in their heads, and hopefully, you know, explaining it with this kind of helps people along with understanding kind of these these ideas and also um i know we show 10 hours of bitcoin.com all the time i think it's like the first uh first lesson there it's one of jw weatherman's lectures about uh speculation and and um you know how to be productive and make money and that like that's another really really well done piece to to really help you understand um these concepts and why um, you know, it's your humanity's better off by you being as productive as possible. And again, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you know 
oh, this means Rollo's saying I have to work, you know, 100 hours a week. Work for the man. And don't do anything that's not productive. No, have fun. Like, you know, we're not here forever. Go have to Childerberg. Go, yeah, go to Childerberg. Have fun. You know, if, if gardening's your thing, go garden and, and do a lot of it. Maybe maybe you're, you'll get good enough that you can make a little bit of money on the side. That'd be, that'd be awesome. That's the market saying, hey. You're good at what you do. Yeah, and you should continue, and you're getting rewarded for it. Maybe you should do more of it. Um, right. But if uh, you know, if it's if you're if you're interested in doing something else, then go. And that's the other thing too is that once you make you know me making a decent living is what allows me to spend a lot of time and money working in my garden. I would love to be at the point where I'm wealthy enough that I can just buy a small farm or something. And just work on it because that's what I want to do. That's what I like doing. And I already have enough, you know, wealth built up that um, I don't need to have a, a steady paycheck like I did before. So that's really like that's something I think is 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 a pretty cool thing to uh, to try to work towards. You know, you're working on things that you love to do, not just because you have to have to get the paycheck. And and kind of the fun thing with a lot of libertarians is that um i think that we're kind of geared towards liking the subversive stuff so you know imagine all the guys working on the 3d printed stuff if they if they were wealthy enough that they didn't have to worry about their their daytime job and could just focus on tweaking and and um you know making optimizing the 3d printing stuff and and gun manufacturing a little more i'm <laughs> Once again, we'd all be we'd be way better off as a result. So, don't feel any shame in uh, in making money. So yeah, that's kind of. No. Let me let me go through. Can leave it there. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Do you have a free market success story? Sure. Uh, I mean, you, do? Do you did you have one in mind? Yeah, I actually have one from. Uh, from Childerberg. From Childerberg? Yeah. All right. Well, we're, we're on that theme. I can save this for another time. Okay. Um, so uh, my my flights to and from Childerberg were on a on a newer airplane, I think, or at least an upgraded one. And maybe I just never noticed this before, but on the headrest now, on all the seats, on the sides of them, you can like pull them up a little bit. So right. it gives you like a place lean to on it, lean your head, rest your head. Yeah. Instead of on the guy next to you. Yeah, or like what I would normally do if I didn't have a window. Stare before. at the ceiling or put it on the tray in front of you. Oh, no, not even. Well, <laughs> I've been unfortunately the most of the time when I get in there when I fly, I get a window seat. Yeah. Um, that nor I usually get that this time. Both. It's hard for me to fit in those things, um, but yeah, I like window because I can lean on it. Yeah, but I yeah, it's like I like to typically sleep on airplanes. Or at least to break up the flight a little bit, but I end up, you know, leaning on the uh, on the side. But even still, it's it's hard and it's bouncy because it's so hard. It's not necessarily the best situation, but with this, I mean, especially if you can recline the chair back a little bit, this saves me if I ever have a uh, you know an aisle or middle seat from just basically my head just uh, like is leaning forwards and I'm just hanging my head while I'm asleep. Which is not the best thing for my neck. No, not comfortable. 
No, but uh, so this is just like this one little thing, small upgrade. Yeah, but makes man make makes the flight experience so much better. And you can see that you know just look at it uh, with this plane. It had um, you know every seat had the had a TV screen, and you know you could watch. Mo- I watched a couple movies uh, for free, and they were you know pretty high end movies. Wasn't like it was just like junk or movies that you know have been out for twenty years. It was you know fairly new releases, TV shows, games, all sorts of stuff. Actually, you can you know has a little map of the world. You can kind of see track the flight, what's going on with it, where you're at, how much time you have left. It even tells you the yeah. air temperature outside. It shows you your altitude. Pretty too, cool, which is kind of yeah. neat. Yeah, it's um, pretty cool. So all these little things, and um, I mean, I would imagine this hasn't increased. It's. I would like to see um, airline airline tickets or so. They go all over the place. The prices. Um, so I don't know if there's a way to like kind of average them out or or have some sort of metric that you can see the the overall price trends of airline tickets over the years. But like anything else, I would imagine that these little uh, improvements are not coming with an increase in your in your ticket price. They're just able to, you know, technological advances and innovations and yeah. and just saved up capital, put yeah. it into the yeah. Right. Because they, you know, it helps that me now I might be more willing to fly somewhere because it's like, oh, you know what, I can I can watch a movie that I wanted to see or just be able to be more comfortable. And right. you know what? It makes me it makes me a lot more willing to take longer flights too. So, yeah. Yeah, I like I like when I fly to the West Coast, I break it up because I don't like being on a plane that long. Yeah, I usually get a layover in Chicago or something. Yeah, purposely because I just don't want to sit on a plane that long. So if they want to upgrade the seats like that and make it easier, it'll save me time on my trips out to the West Coast. Yeah. And just imagine if the government weren't. so heavily involved. I mean, we know with just oh, the recent couple months how, you know, it's disgusting mm-hmm. how much government and uh, bailing out and everything industry. else there yeah. is. Yeah. Um, just imagine if you had a market doing that, how much better and cheaper, you know, flying would be mm-hmm. right now. So all the more reason to uh, buy Bitcoin and, and, you know, speculate on the, on the future of money. Amen. So, um, I think that's it. Show notes page for this episode will be mcflewell.com slash 200. We didn't mention it before, but check out our sponsor, libertymugs.com. And uh, best thing you can do if you like what we're doing and want to help us out, all that we ask that you do is uh, share share this podcast with, with friends and family, anyone who you think is going to be interested. And if you uh, if you can... Go wherever you listen and leave a review and a rating, and that helps get us out. So appreciate all of that, and uh, thanks for listening. We will catch you next week. Peace. Why is it not stopping?